You're listening to the Scotiabank Market Points podcast. I'm your host, Greg White. Market Points is part of the Knowledge Capital series, a collection of audio, video, and written commentary from Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets leaders designed to provide you with timely insights and analysis. LIBOR, the London Interbank Offered Rate, a key set of interest rates linked to hundreds of trillions of dollars of financial contracts and instruments, is on its way out. The rates, based on a judgment of a handful of banks and a relatively small set of transactions, came under scrutiny during the financial crisis of 07-08 as a benchmark that was becoming less reliable and, by its very nature, susceptible to manipulation. And indeed it was, as investigations revealed in 2012. In 2014, the FSB, the Financial Stability Board, issued a report recommending the use of risk-free rates, or RFRs, as a new alternative to interbank offered rates. Also in 2014, the Federal Reserve and New York Fed convened the Alternative Reference Rates Committee, also known as the ARC, and in 2017 advanced SOFR, the Secured Overnight Financing Rate, as the alternative to U.S. dollar LIBOR. Meanwhile, across the Atlantic, the Bank of England launched its working group in 2015, and in 2017 it announced Reformed Sonia, the Sterling Overnight Index Average, as a replacement rate. Meanwhile, the British Financial Conduct Authority, or FCA, which oversees LIBOR, announced that it may be phased out after December 31st, 2021, when they will no longer require the banks to provide LIBOR offers. These decisions have deep and far-reaching consequences. On this episode of Market Points, we present key highlights from a recent Scotiabank webcast on benchmark rate reform. LIBOR's on the way out. What is in? Paul Skirfield, Managing Director and Head of Global Fixed Income at Scotiabank, served on the ARC alongside the current Chair of the Fed, Jerome Powell. Paul has a special insight on the transition away from LIBOR, and on the webcast, he spoke about what the LIBOR replacement rates have in common. What all of the new rates have in common is, um, A, they're overnight, B, they're based on, the rate was was they came up with the rate based on an established market. So they didn't try and build something that didn't exist. What they tried to do was find the pocket of liquidity in the market that was the largest um, and the most relevant in in their view for overnight policy rates um, and build um, a framework off of that. And so again, if we we take um, the European example, the UK example, the US example, the Canadian example, all of them are going to come back to some version of overnight borrowing and lending. Um, in the U.S. case, um, it's collateralized uh, lending, otherwise known as repo. Um, and those markets are extremely robust. Um, you know, you're talking hundreds of billions per day every day. Um, and in fact, one could argue in, in, in at the height of the crisis, um, some of those products actually had bigger days than normal um, because risk-free assets were that much more valuable. Um, so, you know, I'm sure, uh, despite all of us going through hard times in March and April, um, the, the, the Fed um, and the ARC were looking at, at the markets and seeing their rate hold up really, really nicely versus LIBOR um, in the 0809 um, cycle. So, uh, what do all the global rates have in common? Overnight, um, uh, readily available in all times, so good and bad times likely to be in existence for years to come. Um, I think all of those are important. Uh, you know, what they aren't is term. 
and I think we'll talk a little bit about that later, but you're noticing that your IBOR, CDOR, uh, TONAR, uh, sorry, um, uh, LIBOR uh, were all term rates. And whether they were one week, one month, or one year, you had a sort of a bevy of options. Y you know, it, when it comes to these rates, y you can have whatever you'd like as long as it's overnight. For LIBOR-based loans, borrowers and lenders need to prepare for transition. For U.S. dollar LIBOR, the Alternative Reference Rates Committee recently updated their set of recommendations. Heather Wiley, Managing Director, Corporate Banking, Business Operations, and Head of Credit Analytics Group at Scotiabank, explained the ARC approach. So in 2019, they released two versions of the fallback language. One was the amendment approach, which effectively lays out the triggers to a cessation event and then provides a mechanism for the borrowers and lenders to agree to a new rate, which was typically subject to majority lender consent. Um, the other was the hardwired approach, which has a predetermined waterfall of rates uh, that LIBOR would fall back to. So in a nutshell, the hardwired approach means that upon cessation, no further actions required because the borrower and lenders have already agreed to a rate, whereas the amendment approach is really just kicking that conversation down the road a little bit. Um, so the hardwired approach actually reduces the systemic and operational risk concerns that are out there and tied to a large number of contracts needing to be amended upon LIBOR cessation. And it's really because of that that the ARC and other players are starting to push and the industry is starting to push towards adoption of the hardwired language. So the, the first step in the waterfall is terms over, but that rate does not actually exist, which <laughs> adds to some of the complexity and uncertainty around this. Um, the second step is simple SOFR, but this represents a change. The original 2019 language that the ARC had put out had compound and arrears as the second step in the waterfall. But this summer, they, they revised the hardwired fallbacks and republished, and they moved to simple SOFR based on industry feedback that simple SOFR is much easier for, to operationalize in the loan market. Um, although the basis differential between the two is considered to be very minimal, the ARC did also provide in a recommended language the ability to, to swap out basically simple SOFR with compound and arrears. Um, and then the last step in the waterfall would be the negotiated rates. And this would just come into play if the first two steps in the waterfall were not available, which I'd say is highly unlikely. Um, for all of these options, it would be the RFR plus the spread adjustment that would actually replace LIBOR. The ARC, as part of their recommendations, has said that new and amended agreements should uh, move to hardwired approach no later than September 30th. And I think the expectation is that we're going to continue to see greater adoption of this going forward. The derivatives market comprises the vast majority of the notional values of financial instruments using LIBOR as a reference rate. The International Swaps and Derivatives Association, or ISDA, is deep in the process of updating their own documentation and definitions to address scenarios where LIBOR is no longer available or relevant. Ariane Strand, Director, Regulatory Initiatives at Scotiabank, discussed what to expect. You know, the, the ISDA documentation that is the, the standard form documents do not contemplate um, the end of uh, the end of LIBOR, permanent cessation of LIBOR. And so it uh, is very critical, has been a very critical exercise for ISDA to ensure they could update their documentation um, to include uh, the fallback rates in the case of uh, the floating rate options that are that are available, that are presented. Um, and so that those amended definitions are going to uh, are going to be incorporated in two ways, um, one in the form of uh, the ISDA supplement and one in the form of what, what's being termed as the, the ISDA uh, IBOR fallback protocol. So the supplement will include the, the revised definitions, uh, you know, 
to be more specific, it, it will provide that, so in the case of a U.S. dollar LIBOR, um, that any transactions that reference that rate will fall back accordingly to, to SOFR plus the appropriate adjustments. The supplement uh, is a document that, uh, when released, will apply to all of the transactions after the, the release of the supplement. It doesn't require that, uh, that you sign the supplement. It will just automatically apply to those transactions. Um, this is distinct from the protocol, which is effectively an amending agreement. It includes all of the similar uh, provisions for, for fallbacks. Um, but it does require that that parties actually uh, adhere to it or, or sign on to it in order for those terms to be effective, and they would be effective um, to those transactions entered into prior to uh, the effective date of the protocol. There are a variety of ways um, in which uh, you know a, par a client or a counterparty might approach this. Um, you know, you can adhere. Uh, and this would then apply to the terms would then apply to to all transactions that you've entered into with all other counterparties who have who have also adhered. Um, if that is not the approach that uh, that someone wants to take, then they can certainly uh, bilaterally negotiate an outcome um, by uh, you know engaging with their their clients or counterparties directly to to reach the same outcome. You know, it's important to, to note that, you know, whether you adhere uh, in, in the, you know, in the intended way or if you, if you uh, take a bilateral approach, you know, some fallback language uh, needs to be included. And so, you know, one of those two, uh, those two solutions is, uh, is likely necessary. As the webcast drew to a close, Paul Skirfield offered the participants some parting advice. Make sure you know the differences in calculation and compounding. Um, this whole idea of in arrears or in advance, um, you know, can produce significantly different results, particularly at higher interest rates. So it's not so much a, a problem right now, but if you were to get back up to five or five percent, it could be a basis point a month, um, and, and that matters. I also think the rate, uh, the term rate issue, is is not settled. Um, markets in general, and I think particularly from the corporate um, and commercial side. You want uh, one of the nice things about LIBOR is it let you know what your payment was going to be in advance, um, and so it allowed for good corporate planning. Um, I think the committee is really struggling, and the derivatives markets might be okay with this arrears concept, but um, for corporate planning, arrears is a little more difficult. Um, the the certainty that an advance swap brought actually had a fair amount of value. And so I, I think those are the important things to look at. This is not going away. Um, and to the extent that the Fed is the second most serious after the Bank of England, you can see the powerful international forces that are going to sweep across the G10. Um, and so I think most importantly is just uh, understanding that it's real. The 2021 deadline may or may not be the last day that LIBOR is published. But I do think it's, it's important to take it seriously and be prepared as though it might be. You've been listening to key highlights from Scotiabank's webinar on benchmark rate reform titled LIBOR's On the Way Out, What is In? Brought to you by the Scotiabank Women Initiative for Global Banking and Markets. If you have any questions about benchmark rate reform, do not hesitate to contact your Scotiabank representative or email us at ibor, I-B-O-R, dot transition at scotiabank.com. You can now find Scotiabank's Market Points on Apple Podcasts. Don't miss an opportunity to hear from industry thought leaders 
click subscribe. And if you've been enjoying Market Points, please be sure to rate and review us. You can also find more thought-leading content from Scotiabank on our website at gbm.scotiabank.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at ScotiabankGBM, as well as our LinkedIn showcase page under Scotiabank Global Banking and Markets. Please refer to our legal disclosures on our website. I'm Greg White, and thanks for listening.